Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I have with me Ray Blackney. Welcome to the show, Ray. Hey, Mads. Thanks for having me on. Right. So, as it's custom, some people around the world might not know about you. So, would you be happy to give everyone a little bit of an intro to who is Ray and why well, is I'd he here? I'd be happy to. Yeah, and I'd be shocked if anybody did know about me because I try my best not to be known by too many people as an introvert. But my name's Ray Blakeney, and over the last about 10 years or so, I've been building online businesses, six and seven figure online businesses. Currently, between all the online businesses I have, I run about 150 staff members around the world on five different continents. Um, LiveLingua.com being my primary business, which is an online language school. That sounds exciting. That sounds exciting. That's a lot of staff. Yeah, it's, it's not so bad. Obviously, I don't manage them directly, even though when I started for a better, until we got to about 50, it was a pretty flat management style. It was pretty much just me and my wife and then 50 employees all reporting to us. Yeah, we learned that doesn't scale very easily pretty quickly after that. So we had to make some changes. Sounds like a fun challenge. <laughs> it wasn't at the time, let's say. I mean, at the time, I was pulling my hair out, you know, trying to figure out how to get 50 people to stop emailing me all day, every single day, you know, with the questions. Answering the same questions over and over again from 50 different people is not my idea of a good time. No. That makes sense. So what, what is sort of your management philosophy, Ray? Like, how do you think when, when people are talking management, like what, what do you think about management? How do you think management? So let me take a step back from the management aspect of things first. And I know a lot of people out there, if they're managers, it's the same thing. I start with the people and then I add management on top of it. I don't try to manage the wrong people. So it, the first thing we did was we actually came up with a, hiring process that's a little different than a lot of other people in the sense that once you get by the resume and the emails, I don't ask you any more technical questions because I assume that, you know, I don't have to ask you what you did in your last job if I already read it on your resume. I mean, I'm not going to waste your time with an interview there. We do a lot of personality questions and we do questions that test how quickly people think on their feet. So one of my favorite interview questions is I pick two random objects. So for example, a red pen and a white towel. And then I asked, what can you do with those two things in 60 seconds? Over the last few years, and we've interviewed, we have about 150 staff now, but we've probably gone through about three, 400 over the last 10 years or so. I find the people who can come up with more than four or five answers to that in 60 seconds tend to be really great employees um, because they are able to think on their feet and they're creative. Average though, trust me, is two or three. A lot of people, you should try it yourself. Give, you, give yourself 60 seconds to come up with like two things you can do with a red pen and a white towel. Some people stick to the literal. Other people get really imaginative. Um, and that's like the one question I ask in all my interviews. After that, we bring them onto the team and we do kind of a three-month trial period. And it's the higher, fast, fire, quicker philosophy yeah. at that point, right? <laughs> I mean, if they're not working in the three months, you get rid of them. Luckily, about 80% of them make it through that. Finally, we get to the point of your question, which is the management philosophy. And I like to call it goal-driven management. In the more typical management books, they call it like the visionary philosophy. But I kind of think that's like an arrogant thing for a business owner to say that I'm the visionary and everybody else follows my lead. I don't like that role. So I like to call it more the kind of goal-driven philosophy. So I essentially give tasks and goals with deadlines to my team leaders. 
that's how we break down to teams. We're not big enough that we have like multiple. We have three levels deep. Yeah. They give it to their staff with timeframes. And then everybody's job is to get it done. The how, the what, all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to be looking over your shoulder every single day to see how you're doing it. I need it by the end of the month. You need to get it for me by the end of the month. You could do it all at the end, do it all at the beginning. That's generally how I've been managing for years. And I make sure I hire people who kind of fit into that. Now, it's not a kind of hands-off way of managing either. We have weekly meetings. I need to make sure you're making progress every week. I'm here to assist if you're not making progress, but I'm also not gonna ask you every day, so how's this coming along? So how's this coming along? So how's this coming along? I've had bosses like that in the past, and yeah, definitely does not work for me. So that's generally kind of the goal-driven style, works for me with touch points, kind of at least once a week, and in some cases, when we're getting closer to deadlines, maybe a little more frequently than that. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, that's very similar to how I how I like to manage as well, and and um, I, I I like the way that you you think people first, right? Because I think mm -hmm. fundamentally in a business, like I'm also huge and and sort of behavioral and and analyzing personalities and so on, right? Because again, like put putting the right people in the right jobs, actually finding people with strength in a job to make sure you, yeah hit the right buttons is, is really key, so. I agree, it's taken us a while. I mean, you know, you don't always hit it. We have a really great culture right now. I'm happy to say we've had multiple employees come to us and say this is the best place they've ever worked. Um, one thing to clarify, we're 100% virtual company. I mean, we do not have offices anywhere. Uh, yep. We have no brick and mortar, there's no place. We interact, everybody interacts in Slack. And one of my favorite things that we do in Slack, we have a channel called The Water Cooler. Everybody has to come and say good morning and good afternoon in the water cooler. So when you come in in the morning, you say good morning. And when you leave, you say good afternoon. This creates an interesting dynamic in the team. And this is everybody across every team. It's not team specific. Sure. Conversations start. It's kind of what we lack when we work in these kind of physical office spaces where we all kind of meet in front of the coffee and we start talking about how our day was. This starts happening in the water cooler. So people say good morning. And if they knew that, I don't know, it was somebody's son's birthday this weekend, everybody goes in there and say, hey, happy birthday. How was it with you? And everybody starts talking about that. And I think that's helped a lot and create a culture um, yeah. across our teams. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So I actually I know a couple of people who use similar techniques. So that's, yeah, that sounds very useful. Nice. What what's what's sort of the biggest challenge you've bumped into when it comes to management? Like you you've been at this for a while, right? But but what what's sort of the biggest challenge you've had throughout your journey, and 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 what have you done to try and overcome that? Great question. So the biggest challenge that I've actually had in management is when the company shifts, but people who were a right fit before are no longer a right fit, and what to do with them? Because there's two different levels on that one, right? The first level is if they've been with us for a few years, there's that kind of emotional attachment. I know these people. I want to continue to work with them, but it's not always a great fit to do so. Not, not only for the business, but for them as well. So we've made kind of shifts in structure to you know, grow to the next level. And in the end, half of the people, not half, but you know, most of the people were able to do it, but a few of those people were not able to make the transition into a new role. Even if it was similar to their past role, they kind of were very comfortable where they were, but we no longer needed that role before. And making that transition has actually been the biggest challenge that I faced in management. Because simply, we bootstrapped, all my businesses have been bootstrapped. So I've had multiple six-figure, seven-figure businesses, and I bootstrapped all of them from the ground up. So kind of everything grows organically. Um, 
but unfortunately that means you don't always, you kind of plan a team for where you're at, but not for a team for where you want to go. And I think part of it falls on me as the leader. It's, I don't maybe always do it as smoothly. Kind of sometimes some of the changes are a little more abrupt opportunities come up and the business shifts maybe in what's quick for us, three months, six months, the business shifts. And some people are just not quite as good as adapting to those changes. Yeah. as other people. Um, I wish I could come to you with this. Hey, I figured it all out. You know, this, you know, I know that's my challenge. I, I wish I could come, you know, give every, all your listeners this big solution to the end of it. Oh, you just do this and that won't happen. Unfortunately, I can't. I think communication is key. Um, one of the other things about the management style I have is every single staff member, all 150 have my direct email and direct contact on Slack. I don't want them to contact me for every little thing. There are direct channels for this, yeah. but I also let them know that I'm open to hear from them. If there's something that they don't feel comfortable going through the channels for, if it's taking too long for some reason to go through the channels, they can just hit me up. Yeah. I tell them I might not answer you right away. If I'm on a call, if I'm in a meeting, if I'm doing something else, I might not, but within 24 hours, I will get back to you. And if you need to, I'll even set up a one-on-one -on -one call and I'll try to solve the problem. You, have you ever had problems with like sort of, um, how do you say, like making it difficult for you, for your managers? Because sometimes if you, if you have employees that sort of skip layers, right, sometimes that can become a little bit difficult. Um, yeah, how, how have you found that? Generally speaking, I need to make sure that the reason that they're kind of skipping over the managers is a valid reason that their managers couldn't help. For example, sometimes if the problem is the manager, then I definitely want them want me to get involved, right? And then I sit down, I try to become mediator at that point, right? Between the manager and the staff, we try to figure something out. If they're coming for me because it's a business question that their manager should answer, my answer is simply ask your manager. Yeah. So they're still able to come to me, but even if I know the answer, and this was a mistake I made in the beginning, especially when you're kind of a smaller business and you kind of know everything that's going on, you're like, well, yeah, I could either explain to them how to go to their manager or I could just give them the answer in two seconds and get back to work. So I would just give them the answer in two seconds. That does create the problem that I think you were alluding to, which is then they just like, why would I go to my manager? Ray's going to answer me in two seconds. So especially when we're dealing across multiple time zones, sometimes the manager's not online at the same time. Yeah. Um, I had to train myself out of that and say, look, this is not urgent. You can wait an hour, wait for your manager to answer. If they don't get back to you in 24 hours, let me know and I sure. can answer you. But almost all the managers and team leads are great and they always kind of answer. And as soon as they get online, they'll answer. I mean, you know, this person was just impatient and then they learn. Um, I find that that happens very rarely now that people for anything like that will contact me. Maybe somebody new um, that I hired might do that. But if the manager hired you, you'd really have no reason to contact me anyway. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So I, I like that approach. Like, so I, I think, um, yeah, particularly the answering questions. That's one like so many entrepreneurs struggling with it. Even with people that work directly for them, right? Like I've always found that if you keep answering people's questions, they stop thinking. So like the technique I always use is basically the other one. I like even if a direct staff come to me, like you always want to be asking them like, what do you think is the right solution? What what solutions do you see possible? And which one do you feel is the right solution? Right? Because that way you make them think and you get to see how close they are, how good an understanding they have instead of just answering. But it's exactly as you said, it's, it's easy to answer the question and just move on. But that's the, the very short-term solution.
right? I agree. There's actually a technique that I've always been meaning to try. And unfortunately, my, I haven't been disciplined enough to implement it all the time. I do, whenever I think of it, I do it. But half the time, it just doesn't occur to me. It's the one where you're not supposed to come with a question unless you have three proposed solutions before you even ask the question. So that if you're coming to me with a question, you should have three proposed possible solutions to, for me to pick from before you do. I've read that somewhere. I don't remember which management book it was. And it sounded like a good idea. But I, it's not something I've implemented. But it's, you know, that's something I want to try. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, again, I, the thing is sometimes there's not always three solutions. So, but but the, the, the way I really like to ask it is what potential solutions do you see, right? And, and the reason why I do that is it, it helps me understand their thinking and their mindset, right? And again, what happens is when I then ask them, like, which one do you think is the right? Like, honestly, even if I don't think it's the perfect solution, unless I feel they're about to break the business, I'll tell them to go ahead anyway. Right, because it's not like it's not about making the right decision. And by the way, I don't always know the right decision. I wish uh, I did. That'd make my job a lot easier, right? Yeah. Yeah, but that's like that's the thing, right? So a lot of the time, people are coming as much because you know they're afraid of making mistakes or whatever. But the challenge is like if they don't, they never learn, right? So if you want your staff to learn and grow, like you better give them some ability to. I agree, especially when you're dealing across different cultures, that actually becomes a big challenge because in some cultures, it's a little easier to train that. Um, certain cultures, making mistakes is kind of accepted as part of the learning process. I've worked, for example, I'm half Filipino, and I know that in certain parts of the Philippines, like making mistakes is a big no. I mean, you know, you do not make a mistake. It's very hard to admit that you make a mistake in certain parts of the culture. So it, it's, I found it a little harder to, to teach that in the Filipino culture when I've been working with Filipinos and I've worked with plenty of great Filipinos over the years. Um, but I found that in certain areas, it was a little harder for me to train that than it was in other areas where mistakes are a little more readily acceptable, or at least making people feel comfortable that, yeah. to make mistakes with me, at least. I mean, at home, that's all you. Yeah, I, I think actually one of the things that I'm very keen on is bringing out good examples. So, you know, if someone tries something and they fail, like I'm, 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 very much telling like, you know, that, that was fantastic. Well, one of the things that I always struggle a lot with is people are very afraid to criticize the boss, particularly in Philippines, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. what I do is every time I see someone do it, particularly if it's a team meeting or something, I actually bring it up and I say, wow, man, you know, I love when you give feedback like this. I, I, I really appreciate when people are happy to share their views, even though they're different from mine, right? So I actually, when I realize it happening, I'm always bringing it out, right? And, and the challenge is sometimes people are like, oh, no, that's a stupid thing, or that's a stupid solution or whatever. But the whole thing is it's not about that, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm very, very keen on, on always trying to bring out those. And, and we do the same with culture, right? Like if you have a culture saying always be honest to people or, you know, always be... I have a very honest culture. If, if people are saying something, let, let's say, for example, sometimes to a client, sometimes people will be like, oh, we don't tell the client because they probably won't realize, right? Like, oh, oh, oh wait a minute. Mm -hmm. You know, our culture is honesty and, and trust. And therefore, if we make a mistake, we want to tell people. That's, we don't want to try and hide it. We want to tell people and be honest about it. And, and if you keep bringing example of culture up, that helps people understand your culture better, right? 
I agree. I think culture is kind of the base of a lot of the management styles. Management style is done well is to kind of build the right kind of culture. Well, to build the culture in your business. Uh, the right kind of culture comes afterwards. Some people use their management style to build the wrong kind of culture as well, even you know, if you want to build that kind of business, but hopefully you're trying to do the right thing. And I agree, the transparency and honesty is like a key part of our business, both internally and externally. If you're lying to clients, you're going to start lying to your coworkers just because you're going to think that's okay. And you know, it, it could really be toxic in your business. Hopefully we never have to do that with ours. I, as far as I know, we don't, unless it's somebody's hiding it from me. No, but uh, and, and even in employees, sometimes it, it happens, right? Like they're like, mm. oh man, I had this deadline tomorrow, but I'll be a day late. Maybe hopefully I'll just, you know, boss won't notice, right? He will, he will hopefully not ask me for it or something. And like, I, I always bring out the examples because I think, I, I think particularly the positive reinforcement, I think make a huge difference because it kind of shows people that it's acceptable. That, another, I, I love that. I'm going to actually start implementing that with some of the people as well, the kind of the positive reinforcement of the criticism. As Luckily, whether they do kind of with a half joke, but criticizing me is, I don't think most of the staff have any, have any problem at all to doing that. They, they kind of do it openly, the, but they do it politely, right? They're, like you said, they don't go in there and say, wow, you're awful or something like that. They kind of say, hey, we should, this isn't quite working well. Can we do this or can we implement that? Um, and that's obviously received a lot better from my end. And I enjoy it. I mean, one of the examples I use is I've been practicing martial arts now for 20 some odd years. Um, and there's a saying I like from martial arts that say that there are only two types of students that the teachers don't teach, the perfect students and those who aren't worth it. Yeah. And no student's perfect, right? So pretty much if you're not getting feedback from somebody, you're either thinking you're perfect, which you're definitely not, or people don't think you're worth giving feedback to. So kind of bu building that in your culture, I think it's useful. All of us are worth giving feedback to. Wait a minute, are you bursting my bubble here? Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, Mads, you're the exception to the rule. But, you know, the rest of us, we need the feedback, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. What, uh, what, one of the things that most of my audience tend to struggle with a bit is, is around delegation. What, what have you generally found? Like, had that ever been one of your problems and any sort of hints and tips around delegation? Yeah, I mean, I think like every entrepreneur, I had the, well, nobody can do it as well as me uh, mentality, right? When I started, uh, I was answering the emails. I was, you know, coordinating everything, everything other than in the language school, teaching the classes, because I have no business teaching anything. Um, but I was doing everything else. And I believe nobody is going to do this as well as me. It's a total fallacy, obviously, because I think an example I heard somebody say is you're saying of the 6 billion people on the planet, there's not a single person there who can do your job as well as you can. And then when you look at it in that perspective, you're like, yeah, you know, I doubt I'm that good at answering emails or whatever it is that I need to delegate out. Yeah, yeah and I, no one knows my company better than I do, right? That's it, that's it. And I'm like, nobody's gonna answer the emails, nobody cares about the clients as much as me, all of that. So I definitely, definitely faced it. The biggest challenge was that first hire though. Um, and I think I got lucky because the first hire was really good. Yep. And once you hire somebody, and they're doing it better than you, your whole house of cards comes down. You're like, wait a minute. I mean, the risk at that point 
it's just not hiring everybody. I mean, you know, because you're like, wait, he can do that. Now I can hire up. I mean, I don't like doing that either. I don't like doing that. I should hire this person, this person, this person. And then you can kind of go on this hiring spree that's maybe not be the best plan, you know, may not, doesn't have the best plan to it. So you end up with more staff than you need. I also made that mistake. and we had to kind of pull people yeah. back at that point. But that was it. That first step for me, uh, making sure it was a good experience is any big thing because if the first person had done an awful job, I might not have thought the same thing. Hire one good person and you'll never have that fallacy again. And then your business will go to as a result. When I hired, the first person we hired, kind of, a, especially the first Westerner we hired, a guy from the UK, he's still with us. Our business doubled in 12 months after we hired him. That's yeah. it. I mean, it was, it's that simple. Ever since I've never looked back. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I look at it very much the same way. I think uh, a lot of the time, I think people really struggle with the, they, they also struggle with the mental piece of actually letting go, right? Like they often like, like they want to be busy, right? Like I see it so often, like people are like, oh, I'll just check the customer service email before I go home. And, you, you know, they have these small things that other people is actually responsible for doing, but, you know, they want to feel busy. They want to feel like, oh, yeah, I worked 12 hours today. You know, like I'm, I'm fucking awesome and I'm the reason why this company does well and so on, right? Instead of actually doing the things that they should be doing, which is often the, the big mistake, right? And, up, you know, for, at least from my experience, you'll be busy anyway. I mean, you know, as soon as you hire somebody to answer the emails, you'll, you have, a, like you say, there's work where your time is better spent and you'll start working on that. Then you hire somebody to, you know, do the accounting and you're like, hey, I can do more, more of this, which I'm really good at. So it's not necessarily, if you want to, if feeling busy is what you're looking for, you don't have to go down this route. I know it's my tendency. You will have plenty and plenty of work to do. Um, you're not going to suddenly be out of a job unless that's your goal, in which case more power to you. I mean, you know, have, delegate everything out and do it. it. I think I'd be bored right now, but I do hope for a day where. I, 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 I mean, I always say the same thing, right? Like I, I don't know anyone that opens a computer in the morning. Uh, I don't know any entrepreneurs who opens a computer in the morning and have nothing to do. Like I've never walked home one day and had, nothing on my to-do list, nothing I could do to improve the business, right? Like it, it just doesn't really occur. So exactly, exactly. So whatever, if anybody has that fear, it's totally unfounded. I have never, I've been doing it well, almost 12 years now so running businesses. Um, and I can't think of a day where that hasn't happened. I have built the businesses up to a point. Now I'll put a caveat on there, build the business up to a point where I can take a week, a month off and sure. the business is fine. So my general responsibility is growing the business. It's not running the business. Yeah. Um, I'm starting a new venture right now, which is a marketing company. Okay, now my business, I'm going to jump back into running the business because when it, I, I bootstrap. I don't yeah. want to bring money from another business in there. I enjoy that part. It's fun. I'm doing it by choice. But once you get to a certain point, run, running businesses is not where my interest lies. So once they're successful, that I should have a team in place to run them. And then I just have weekly status meetings since I'm private, all my businesses are privately owned, I don't have a board, but essentially I act like a board member at that point, right? I have somebody running the day-to-day -day yep. operations. Once a week can be a report, how are things going? What can we do? And that's it. Yeah, I, I think we look at it very much the same way. Like I also really, I, I love the process of building the businesses. And for me, it's particularly putting the right team together that can run them without me. I, I find, I find 
very fun. So that's, but, but I again, think we're creatives. I think that's the, that's the real thing. You know, this is our art in a way. I yeah. mean, creating business is our platform for doing art. We yeah. just, we don't paint. I can't paint to save my life. I barely made it out of kindergarten. I think, you know, I could never color between the lines to save my life. Um, but once I found business, it's, you know, the limit is your imagination and kind of what you can do and what you can put together. Like, you know, what tools can you put together with what to people to make something really amazing happen? I'd say this way. I hope your handwriting is better than mine. Cause uh, <laughs> handwriting is a, I would use that word very loosely to describe what I put when I put a, a piece of, you know, a pen to a paper. Unintelligible. I don't think I've written a whole page in over 10 years. I'm a computer engineer by training. I can type very quickly. But if you want me to write, it is chicken scratch. I mean, yeah. it is something awful. So yeah. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Sounds like we're very alike. <laughs> great. Great. So, <laughs> so um, what's what's the biggest business challenge you've ever had and uh like how how have you sort of overcome that biggest business challenge was losing my business overnight so um the story is my live lingua is actually the second iteration of the same business so when i first built live lingua it was 11 micro sites so it was all these like mini sites spanishlessonsonline.com and stuff like that doing pretty well uh, and they were ranking through something called SEO. I'm sure most of the listeners know what that is, search engine optimization. So we were ranking number one across the world for all 11 sites. This was back in the 2000 and I started SEO in 2007. So, you know, it was very, I had tools. I had all that kind of stuff. I was, no, nobody was even close. Wake up one morning. There was an algorithm update in 2012 called Google Penguin. Wake up one morning. My websites disappeared. Totally, totally gone. Now, at that point, we were still in, I think, the mid to low six figures. So we didn't have a huge amount of staff, but we had two staff members and probably about 40, 30 or 40 teachers on staff. I had to get them back up. Now, we had a little bit of an advantage the way that we work. You know, we have students and they keep paying. So it wasn't that overnight our cash flow dried up. We, have, we just have to worry about the attrition rate, which is about 7%. So every month we were going down by about 7%. I had to build it up again from the ground up after that. So long story short, I kind of tried other marketing methods. I developed the system and I kind of built the business back up. Um, but this time with, you know, a much more robust system, we still use SEO for our business, but I brought in team members to kind of do other, other types of marketing yep. to, to build our business up. We're sadly still 50% dependent on Google, a little over 50% dependent on Google. There's no real way to escape that online, um, but we're a lot more robust. And luckily the team members that were with me then, are still with me. So they kind of put it through the thick and thin. We let them know. You were talking about honesty. I told them, I'm like, look, we literally lost our business overnight. I told them this is how much money we have. I, I live way below our means as far as, you know, how much we make every month. We live off about 10% um, of what we make every month. So we have savings. We can do this for about a year. See if we can get this boat, you know, pointing in the right direction. I can't give you guys a raise, but I'm not going to take cut your salaries either, but we need to work. And they yeah. performed. I mean, they started doing tasks outside of their regular jobs. Both of them are like some of my lead managers right now, even though they were just the lower level employees at the time. Yeah. Um, and it worked. I mean, then I did work 14 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, at that point to try to build the business back up. So that, it took a while. That's the cycle of it. That's the cycle exactly. of it. Exactly. Yeah. I saw, those are the days where I'm like, wow, I wish I had a nine to five. I'm a computer programmer. I'd make a decent salary. You know, I'd be a lot less stressful than this, but no, this is so much more fun. Yeah, I would say I also had some personal, uh, 
what do you call it, personal experience with penguins and pandas and stuff that wasn't <laughs> pleasant in any way, shape, or form. So I'm, Panda did not did not hit me at all. Penguin, yeah, just bent me over and yeah, had its way with me. I mean, it was yeah, that was painful. Yeah, stuff happens. Stuff happens. Exactly. It's part of it. I think though, it doesn't even matter if you're in the online space. There's always stuff like that. The restaurant where the road, the highway changes or something like that, and your restaurant goes bankrupt. Or, or the road outside is going to be under road work for six months where no one can enter your premises. Exactly. And suddenly, yeah. so, I mean, you know, this is our online space, but we also have the opportunity to start businesses for pennies yeah. in the online. If you have the right skill set, you throw up a website, you know, a little bit online marketing, you can start a business for $50, $60 a year. If you're yeah. willing to put in the legwork to do it, you can't exactly. do that with a restaurant. I mean, that's, yeah. Probably not, no. <laughs> if you figure that out, that'd be awesome. But, I mean, I come from the brick and mortar world. My first business was a brick and mortar chain of language schools. And wow, rent, uh, you know, benefits. We got sued twice uh, just because they, they quit. Then they, in, in Mexico, you actually, if you quit, you get like a certain amount of money. But if you get fired, you get like five times as much. So they quit and then they sued us saying like I'd fired them. Made up these stories about their parents were there when I, I was ridiculous. But, you know, all this headache. Moving to the online world, I'm like, none of this has ha ever happened. We've had no legal issues in a decade, so it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah very inspiring, Ray. Very inspiring. So um, any, any sort of tips and tricks around management here in the end before we finish off that you want to share with the audience or think they'll benefit from? Sure, and this is one that... So I have a podcast as well. Nothing to do with any of my businesses. It's a passion project. Um, where I help teachers make money online called the anomalous educator. The reason I bring this up is while doing the podcast, and this is pretty recently, I learned a key to management and that's to listen um, in pod instead of talk. And I found that I tend to talk my, when I was in the meetings, I would tend to dominate the meetings. And through my podcast, I found out that, Hey, just ask a question, sit back and let everybody else talk one I'm very outgoing, but I'm an introvert. So it's actually a lot less work for me. You know, I mean, you just ask one or two questions and everybody does it. Um, and I found that the feed, the kind of information I get from the staff is much deeper than what happened when I just kind of led the conversation and up to a point, maybe they even told me what I wanted to hear because I would lead them to a certain answer. Now I get much more diverse answers. So my, my tip is listen um, to your employees instead of doing all the talking. I, I love it. Uh, I would say the hardest thing I've ever done is starting a podcast because I'm used to going on other people's podcasts and talking nonstop for two hours. And then, <laughs> you know, but actually, yeah, pushing yourself and learning to listen a little bit and shut up have been uh, interesting experience. So I can, yeah, I definitely, I think, again, you and I seem to have very similar personalities, Mads, and it was exactly the same thing. I'm like, wait, the podcast isn't about me. It's a lot easier for me to interview on podcasts, just like on this one. Hey, you want to talk, talk about business and what I do? Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. But, you know, listening to other people, that takes a lot of work. But even doing that internally, I found that even in my personal relationships, that it actually has been really, really useful. I'm still working on it. We still fall back on our old habits. If I don't think about it, boom, I start talking and dominating the conversation again. But I'm trying my best. Yep. That makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> Ray, if people are desperate to get in touch with you, what's the best way of doing that? Sure. I don't know why you'd be desperate to get in touch with me, but if you wanted to, um, the best two ways are through my two main businesses, which is LiveLingua.com. It's an online school. We were talking about transparency. You can go to the About Us page, and my email is right there. 
And if you come and sign up for language lessons with us, I send every new student a personal welcome email from me with my direct email address. So it's very easy to get in touch with me there. Or you can get in touch with me through my new agency, infiniteupcycle.com. Um, it's a content amplification agency. And same deal. Go to the About Us page there. Email is published. You can go, just copy and paste the email. It's Ray at Infinite Upcycle or Ray at LiveLing. Well, I'll tell you guys right now. And just send me an email. I might be dating myself because that's email is the best way to contact me. Don't hit me up on Pinterest or Instagram or you know Twitter. I'm not really active on those. Facebook is the closest social media that I want. Awesome, man. Thank you very much for joining the podcast. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Mads. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.